water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let me just ask a quick blessing upon uh, our time. Father, uh, proclaim your word. Proclaim the truth of your word. And open up ears to hear. And control my tongue. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so last week we just looked at verses 1 and 2. And there will be sometimes we'll hit a psalm and we'll crawl through it. And like last week, we didn't, we let the psalm sort of take us to a couple things, to a couple places. And if you weren't here last week, uh, it is online. And what we really put our focus on was verse 2, the law of the Lord. We spent quite a bit of time uh, considering the law of the Lord because this fella, the blessed man, blessed is the man, he delights in the law of the Lord. He meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. And so we ask the question, is the law for us? Like, is it is it something that we should be thinking about and considering? And I hope when, once we got done, we were all in agreement that the law is very good. It's very good, and it's good for us. Even for us who are on this side of the cross, right? For Paul says we're not under law but under grace. Now that we could take that and go a whole nother sermon. But that does not mean the law is then done away with. What we looked at last week is that even laws that don't make sense to us in principle could actually help us live our lives. Like don't boil a a baby goat in its mother's milk. No one's done that recently or even been tempted to do that. But there's a principle that comes from that. Don't take what is good that brings life, the milk, and harm the young and innocent, right? Um, or the innocent in general. There were, there were some other ones. Don't, don't muzzle. Paul used the, the law, don't muzzle the oxen as it treads, you know. Uh, and he used it. He's like, he, he, he goes, you really think God's greatest concern was about an oxen? No. There, there's a principle within the law um, that applied to an even greater situation. And so I don't, I don't want to spend much more time on that. Um, but the, we finish with some exhortations of, uh, do you flirt with the counsel of the wicked? What music are you listening to? What Netflix series are you watching? Um, what movies, what friends are you hanging out with? Uh, number two, do you use your mind? And then the final one was, do you spend, uh, you need to spend more time in the Old Testament. You need to spend more time in the Old Testament. And I hope that as we look through these Psalms, we can do those things together. Um, and sort of help push you in the right direction. So that got us through two. And then we start at verse three. And verse three is an, an analogy. He goes in all of verse three um, and carries over the analogy into verse four. Uh, but let's read verse three. And you think for a second. So the analogy is uh, he's comparing something to something. And obviously, it's gonna the comparisons in the in the verses. Uh, so we we finish two, we start three, and he says he is like. So that's where we know we've got an analogy. 
He's wanting to teach a lesson through a comparison. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. Now, um, let's just look at a couple things here. And let's think about just the physical sense. Not about the analogy, but just he's talking about a tree. Okay, So let's just talk about a tree for a minute. A tree, and it, this tree is planted by the streams of water. So we we talked about judgment coming, and what and and, and Matthew seven, and what came to ju- what came when judgment came upon a house. What was it? It was wind and rain and floods, right? And so water is typically, you know, this this carries this sense of um, can carry this sense of destruction and judgment. Uh, but we're going to see something else, but the greater uh, purpose of the water in the Scripture. But but water can come and wipe things away. Well, we've got a tree that's it's it's planted by the water. So is the water going to affect it? No, no. The and and, and of course it's a stream. So the the running stream of the water it, it actually planted it. Where it is. And so the force of the water is a positive to it. But it goes beyond that. When we when we really think of water, what do we think of? Living water. Living water. You're getting ahead of me. It's life. We just think about just think about it in in the most physical sense, right? Everything needs water. And so not only is this tree found planted by this water, its life source surrounds it. Its life source surrounds it. All right, so water is the life source, and this tree has an abundance. Now, the next line is, this tree yields its fruit in its season. Now, if you've read the parable, not the parable, the story with Jesus and the fig tree, and he goes he loses it on this fig tree. And do you know why? It's because the fig tree wasn't producing fruit in season. Or at least it looked like it should be. I don't want to go too far in that story, but the point of this tree is it's always producing a harvest when it's supposed to. It's always producing. And of course it is because it's got an abundance of its life source it, and anytime you think, anytime you see the word fruit or yield or harvest in the Bible, you have to think that's something good, right? If you're a gardener, you want a harvest. And so the, the agricultural analogy is always going to be a good in the scriptures. But then the, sec, the, the next line, and its leaf does not wither. Again, why does the leaf not wither on this tree? Because it's, got water. it's got the life source, right. It's got enough water. It's always producing. Now, you don't eat the leaf. But to me, when I see a, a, a leaf that does not wither, or if I, I see a leaf that withers, that's a very ugly tree. A tree that's leaves do not wither is a beautiful tree. It is it is aesthetically beautiful. 
And we as Christians must understand that we can glorify God in enjoying beauty, right? There's a outside of our front door. There's this tree at the end of our driveway, and I I, I was drawn to it when we first moved there because it it wasn't it wasn't an oak, you know, it wasn't a maple. I wasn't really sure it was when we looked into it, and it was an ash tree. Does anybody have any ash trees? Well, I just loved it because it was nice and plump. It wasn't that tall. And it, just, it was full and beautiful. Well, it's dead. <laughs> Two years later, maybe three years later, like each year, it I could tell part of it didn't come back. And I don't think any of it came back this year. And it, it's broken my heart. But I love that tree because it was aesthetically beautiful. Because I, I see oaks and maples all around and all the other trees. But I don't see a lot of ash trees. At least I, I, I don't realize it. And so it caught my eye. And I was thankful for that ash tree. Um, I, to me, a, a, a tree that does not... Because the fruit is what it yields. The leaves, right, to me, uh, give some sort of expression of, of beauty. And all, and then the last line of verse three, and all that he does, he prospers. So now we've jumped out of the analogy back to uh, the man. So I just answered the the first question here as we consider verse one, two, and now three. Let's think about the analogy. Um, the 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 tree is the reference is a reference to the blessed man, right? But that's that's really obvious. I don't I don't want to insult your intelligence. Uh, he's planted by streams of water. What do you think the streams of water is referring to in this analogy? What do you think the streams of water is referring to in this analogy? Okay, now. Mike said God, you said the word. Now, this is we're gonna we're gonna go on a little rabbit trail to see something, and both answers are right. Um, I do think in the immediate in the immediate context, what is the streams of water is the word, and I'll show you in a second. But we think about it. What is he delighting? What is he delighting in? What is he meditating on? It's the law of the Lord, but it's the law of the Lord, right? Now here's here's where we're gonna have some have some fun with this and start making some connections in the Old Testament, which I think would be very a very helpful habit for us to be getting into. Um, turn to Jeremiah, so this is to the right a little bit. Turn to Jeremiah 17, and there are a lot of um, there are a lot of references. To trees by the prophets, what seems to be their under their their knowledge and reference of Psalm one, but Jeremiah is one of them. So past Isaiah, on into Jeremiah, chapter seventeen, verses. We're gonna read five through thirteen. I think that's what it is. Yeah, Jeremiah seventeen. If you get to Ezekiel, um, you've gone too far. It's a Lamentations. You've gone too far. So starting at five, important important statement to begin with. Thus says the Lord, who's talking? God. God is speaking through Jeremiah. Hence, that's why he's a prophet. 
Quote, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness and and in an uninhabited salt land. Verse 7, pay attention. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Like the, uh, like the partridge that gathers a brood that she did not hatch, so is he who gets riches, but not by justice. In the midst of his days, they will leave him, and at his end, he will be a fool. So before we go any further, do you see we have the same sort of compare and contrast to the blessed man and the wicked man, right? We've got this it's just the same as verse uh, Psalm 1. All right, number 12. A glorious throne set on high from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. Our Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. Now, how does the fountain get to the tree? The stream. You know, you've, you who's been to who's been to Mammoth Spring? Well, everybody's been to Mammoth Spring. Not some of you had had. Mammoth Spring uh, is a mammoth spring. And there's no way around it. Is it ninety nine or ninety million gallons a day? It's one of the two. It's nine or ninety million gallons a day come out of that spring, right? That's that's the fountain, and it's there and it's beautiful. It's beautiful pond. Looks like a pond, but then coming off of that is the stream, right? The water coming out of the fountain is then taken away and carried across the country, right? And what does that water do? It gives life to all the places that it passes along. Now, and we'll see that. So the, the fountain is the origin, the Lord. The streams have to be his communication, his instruction, his word, his law. Right? That, that's the connection we have to the fountain, and that's through the streams. Look, uh, let's just let's go let's go on a little um, Bible run here. John, let's go to John four. I'm sure y'all expected that one. John four. We've got Jesus and the woman at the well, right? Surprise, surprise. I'll just be honest. This is kind of like a Bible geek fest is what's happening right now, okay? 
I, we're, we're exploring the themes of the scriptures that probably in a way you've not considered. I, and maybe you have, and, I, and that, that's, that is amazing and wonderful because the truths of the scriptures, the themes of the scriptures run from the old to the new. Like things, thing, there, there are a few differences, but there are the principles remain the same. Um, okay, so we got Jesus who meets this woman at the well. Uh, she's a woman from Samaria, verse 7. Uh, and she's come to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for me a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealing with Samarians. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? He, let's think about Jeremiah. He is the fountain. The living water comes from him. Where do you get that living water? Verse 12. Are you greater than our father Jacob? She asked Jesus. He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. That being the water of the well. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Now let's stop and think about Psalm 1. He's surrounded by the water. He's planted in the water. He always bear, He's always bearing fruit. He's a tree that's always bearing fruit. He's a tree that's got always has green leaves. Right? If you drink from this well, from the fountain, from me, everyone who drinks of this water uh, will never be thirsty Again, you will be surrounded by the source of life. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. She hadn't quite gotten it yet. Uh, we're going to have to move forward on that. But we, but we see the picture that 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 Christ is the fountain, he is um, he is the the mammoth spring of the living water, and those who are united to him by faith. Now, how are we united to? Uh, okay, I just said it. We're united to Jesus by faith, but what are we trusting in? His word, his promise, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the words of Christ. The gospel is the stream. The gospel connects us to the source. Trusting in his word. And when those who trust in his word, the stream that comes from him, the the fountain of living waters, then comes fills us up and comes through us. It says a spring of water welling up uh, welling up to t- eternal life. Now turn to John 7. 
Verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Out of the believer's heart flows living water. Whoever is in Christ flows out rivers of living water. But what, what does that mean? What is he talking about? Well, verse 39. Now this he had said about the Spirit, whom those who believe in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, who benefits from receiving this living water? He says, if you believe in me... Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He doesn't just say, if you believe in me, you will be filled with living water. He said, out of you will flow living water. Of course you benefit. You've been filled with living water. But it should flow from you. Not in the same magnitude that it flows from Christ. But the living water, the source of life ought to flow from those who have received it. Right? Just Again, we think about the river. Um, it doesn't just, no one just collects it and it stops. It goes from place to place to place to place. And as it flows, it is giving life. It is, and I'm not telling you're saving people. I mean, someone might could benefit from the fact that life is flowing through you. And they could even be an unbeliever. We read the parable about the, the mustard seed turning in. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that's planted. And it turns into this great tree. And something foreign from that tree comes and finds its nest inside of it. People benefit from the life that Christ gives us that should be flowing out of us. Now, you might... Trust me here. Because think about the tree. I said trust me because I'm going to show you a couple more passages. Uh, Think about the tree. The tree isn't like, oh, I'm making fruit. The tree doesn't eat its own fruit. Someone is... Someone is benefiting from the fruit of the tree. Someone is benefiting from the beauty of the, the green, lifey leaves. Right? And you, you might just be thinking, okay, Luke, you're just making that up. You're just trying to over-spiritualize this. Turn to Isaiah 45. I got three more passages on this point. And... Two of them come out of the Old Testament prophets, and one's in in Revelation. Uh, Isaiah 44. Verse 1 through 5. 
But now hear, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on a thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing upon your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. The one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob and another will write on his hands the Lord's and name himself and name himself by the name of the Israel. Jesus pours the waters on Israel and from that flowing comes sprigs of life and green grass. Now, Ezekiel 47. Go past Jeremiah to the right. Go to Ezekiel 47. This is where it really gets interesting. Now, get, I have to give you a little backstory on the end of Ezekiel. At the beginning of 40, oh, yeah, at the beginning of 40, I, uh, Ezekiel is caught up in a vision, and he sees a man at the temple. And it's a new temple. Okay? And this man is walking Ezekiel around, giving him measurements on what the new temple ought to look like. But if you if you read it carefully and study it carefully, he's leaving out measurements that you would need to actually build it. He's just kind of giving some general measurements about some certain dimensions. And a lot of people, as they think about prophecy and the end of times, they use this as what is going to happen towards the end when that Israel will actually rebuild a new temple and this is their dimensions and the way they're supposed to build it. And then within this temple, based on this, they're going to reinstitute animal sacrifices. I can't, I can't jump on board with that for many reasons. Uh, to not get into this this evening, but who's the temple now? Who's the temple of God now? You are. You are. And if if we went through Hebrews, what's Jesus? What did God think about animal sacrifices? No good. He's done with them. He did a sacrifice I don't want. It's a body I was after. It was Jesus, the Son of Man, he needed. And so I, I honestly I don't I don't I don't see this as a future dimensions for the temple in Israel before um, the millennium, but I see this as a prophecy of what will happen with the church of God. Now, after he gets done with the dimensions, look what happens in verse forty seven, verse one. So he's laid it all out. Verse 47. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple. And behold, water was issuing from the below the threshold of the temple towards the east. 
for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from between the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by the way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces towards the east. And behold, the water was trickling out of the south side. Going on eastward with the measuring line, the same, same measuring line he'd had all this whole time, he, the man measured a thousand cubits. He led me through the water, and it was an ankle deep. Then he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was a knee deep. Then he led, and then he measured another thousand cubits and led me through the water, and it was a waist deep. Again, he measured a thousand cubits, cubits, and it was a river that I could not pass through. For the water had risen, it was deep even to swim in, a river that could not be passed through, and said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Let's see how far we're going to go. Let's keep going. Then he led me back to the bank of the river. And as I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on one side and on the other. And he said to me, This water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. Where the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, what's the, what's the water back in John? The Spirit of God, right? Wherever the water goes, every living creature that swarms will live, and there will be very many fish. For there, this water goes there, and the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live where the water goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea. From Ingadi uh, to Ingalim, it will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They are, to, uh, they are to be left for salt. And on the banks, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail. Huh? Let me read that again. Their leaves will not wither, and their fruit not fail. What is that? Psalm 1. But they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary where God dwells. Where does God dwell? In us. In us. Their fruit will be for food. And their leaves for healing. Okay, one more. And then we'll be done. Revelation 21. Excuse me. Um... Yeah, we'll do 21 and then 22. Verse 5, or verse 1. Let's start at verse 1. Man, I'm sorry. I've got all these mixed up. Verse 5, sorry. 
And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. But for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now that, I wanted to read that, I got ahead of myself, as a reference to the rest of Psalm 1. Because the rest of Psalm 1 says something very similar. The wicked will not stand in judgment, meaning they will not be able to stand and give account. They will have no excuse. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. But the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I got ahead of myself, and that's why I read that. But verse 22, chapter 22. The new heavens and the new earth have come down. We see holy, the holy city, the new Jerusalem. And then we get chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, and with it twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for healing of the nation. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb of God will be in it, and his servants will worship. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night uh, and night, there will be no more. Then they will need no lamp, light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light and will reign forever and ever. And so I did all that for you to see that the kingdom of God is spread like the river. And it spreads from the temple. You. Right? It spreads from us. So the, the question that we have, I just want to end with is, is life flowing into you, number one, from Christ? And then is, is, is life flowing out from you towards other people? Uh, this this is the way the world ends. The water's flowing, the rivers of life flowing from the temple, the church. This is, is why we're going to do what we're doing at the end of the month, is that we hope that, the, that the, the source of life that we've received in Christ will flow from us. And that it's not, see, we don't, we're not getting it so that we look pretty and bear fruit. Because a tree can't eat its own fruit. It's for others. We bear fruit for the kingdom for others. We're, We're nourished by Christ by the giving of the Spirit that what we've received can now flow from us and to others. Now, you've got to also you've got to ask yourself, is the life flowing into you? Well, and you say, how do I know if the life of Christ, the the life of living water is flowing into me? Well, I, we go back to where we started. Um, do, you, do you need the word of God? I mean, do you personally? I don't, I don't mean theoretically. 
I mean to self-examine your heart and say, do you need the Word of God? Because that's that's going to tell me or tell you a lot about where you're at if you're planted and surrounded by. Because if you, it, that's it's it's the paradox of the satisfaction of the Spirit of God in Jesus Christ. We have an abundance, but we want more. We're we're completely we we can find complete satisfaction in Christ, but yet we will never be satisfied. And so if if you're not hungry for the word of God, then that would be that would be a sign that says perhaps perhaps you're not planted by streams of living water. And then I think it, if you could be honest with yourself with that, then you could probably be honest with yourself that there is nothing that comes from me to others as it pertains to living water. Uh, but we, we as Christians, we must, we must be those who bear fruit. That's the parable we read. We, we didn't read this morning or just now. I wanted to read now, but we're too late. The parable of the sower. Uh, it's, it's the word of the kingdom that gets sown. And you know the only good soil there is the one that produces fruit, right? That's it. Uh, and that fruit is not for us. The fruit is not for us. It's for the kingdom. It's for the kingdom of God. And so uh, I, I, I highly recommend read, Eze- read the end of Ezekiel, read the end of Revelation. Um, and I hope it encourages like it, like it has encouraged me the last couple weeks as I've, as I've studied over that. Uh, didn't get to the rest of the psalm. Um, that's okay. Well, it's kind of confusing a little bit, but I hope that uh, you take away a little bit something this evening uh, and know a little bit more about what the Bible has to say about the source of life and water flowing from Christ to us and on to others. So let's pray. Father, uh, take your word and uh, bring forth the the tree. Build build a forest among us in us uh, that is saturated full of fruit with leaves that are shining green and we ask and pray that the people around us can pluck from that and taste and see that you are good and the fruit that we bear through the word that's been planted in us well That's what you've called us to and for. And so might we glorify you in bearing fruit for the sake of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, y'all have a blessed week.